Thank you, Mike and Matt. I trust that that's the cry of your heart this morning as well, that God would be glorified, he'd be glorified in our lives, he'd be glorified in, in this church as well. What a great song. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're well into our summer study now as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And now in the summer we're looking at the role of a, of a family, I mean faithful families according to, to God's word. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5. And last week we looked at the goal of marriage, what God would have a marriage look like and how, what he would have a husband and wife do. And this morning we're going to turn our attention to the, what the, the husband is to do, the role of a husband in a marriage relationship, how a husband is to be like Christ. And we're going to look at that this morning and, and next week as well. And so please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to actually begin in verse 22 as it discusses the wife and continue down on into verse 33. And so if you'd stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together this morning. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit and everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May God encourage us through his word this morning. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do confess this morning that you alone should be praised. You are the great God who alone receives glory. Father, we pray that you would be lifted high. We pray that you be lifted high in, in our own lives as we rightly acknowledge you as, as God. We pray that you be lifted high in this church as we worship you together. And Father, as we turn our attention to the, the family this morning and the coming weeks, we pray that you would be lifted high in our families. We pray that we would conduct ourselves in such a way that you receive the honor and the glory and I pray especially for husbands this morning as we think about the difficult task of being a, a Christ-like husband. Give us your strength, Father. We pray in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. There's a prevailing sentiment that cuts across cultures, across the ages, and 
that sentiment is that men are somehow inherently, generally unhappy in marriage. There's a uh, saying that Sir Francis Bacon had. Sir Francis Bacon said that a man finds himself seven years older the day after his wedding. There's a Polish proverb that says a woman cries before the wedding and a man cries afterward. The French have a saying. They say that uh, marriage is like the sunset of love and one wit has said that marriage is a romance story in which the hero dies in the first chapter. The, there's some sort of uh, understanding that cuts across cultures, uh, across the ages, that, that somehow marriage is an unhappy institution for a man to find himself in. And I think that we as husbands in this room must acknowledge that there is a, a grain of truth, a grain of truth, in these sayings, and the grain of truth is this. The birth of a marriage does mean the death of a man. The birth of a marriage does mean the death of a man. Now, unlike our culture that would say that that's a bad thing, we as believers, as we look upon the, the death of a man as he enters into a relationship, would say that's a good thing. Men, I hope that you would agree with me this morning that, that we are inherently selfish people, and we have no real comprehension of how truly selfish we are until we are surrounded by someone who helps us see how selfish we are in and of ourselves. For example, as a, as a single person, I lived a very self-centered life and, and had no conception of how self-centered that life was. I did what I wanted to do, kind of when I wanted to do it. By nature, I'm kind of an, an introverted person, and so I, I thought nothing of just sitting down and, and reading a book for long stretches of time and if I didn't see anyone, that was just fine by me. I kind of ate what I wanted to eat. When I wanted to eat it, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd have uh, the same routine every day. A Coca-Cola Classic for breakfast, along with some Pop-Tarts. For lunch, I'd have a sandwich that consisted of bread and meat, and that was it. Dinner would consist of peas, corn, and rice, night after night after night. And uh, then I'd wash everything down in the evening with a big box of chewy chocolate chip cookies, uh, chewy chips ahoy cookies, okay? And so as far as I knew, that was a normal way to live one's life, and there was nothing wrong with that, okay? And I, you know, I did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I, I spent my, my finances without my money, with, without uh, really consulting anyone. But once I got married, I realized what a self-centered life I had been leading, I found out that not everyone enjoys a, a big box of Chewy Chips Ahoy's uh, every, every night for dinner. That uh, there are other breakfast items besides Pop-Tarts in the world. And I was constantly aware of what a self-centered life I had really been living. And I would not have known that apart, apart from the joy of dying to myself as I entered into a marriage relationship. Uh, last week we looked at the goal of marriage. And as we looked at the goal of marriage, what we saw is this. God desires a man and a woman to glorify him in the marriage relationship by pursuing oneness. A man and a woman are called by God to enter into a marriage relationship and to glorify him by pursuing oneness, by being joined together. And as we looked at that, we saw that that's, that's the goal of marriage, is this, this one flesh relationship 
now what we're going to do over the next several weeks is look at that goal and how it is pursued from the perspective of a man, and then in a few weeks we'll look at it from the perspective of a woman. How does a man pursue oneness? How does a wife, how does a woman pursue oneness in that marriage relationship? And what we're going to see, men, over the next two weeks is that you and I, as husbands, pursue oneness in this way. You and I pursue oneness in marriage by practicing Christ-like sacrificial love toward our wives. How do we as husbands pursue oneness in our marriage relationship? Just like Christ, we sacrificially love our wives. That's God's injunction to you and I who are husbands. We pursue oneness through sacrificial love, Christ-like sacrificial love of our spouse. Before we delve into the text, let me just offer a a few encouragements here uh, for you. Uh, First of all, wives, let me give you a little encouragement here this morning. Uh, What might happen as we look at these biblical truths over the next two weeks is you could say, wow, look at the ideal husband here, and look at my husband, okay? And there can be a a great discrepancy that you sense between uh, where your husband may need to be ideally, and, and perhaps where he is. And, and you may go home and say, you know what? What a wonderful opportunity for us this afternoon, honey. We can work and, and help you apply these wonderful truths that we learned from God's Word this morning, and we can kind of start trying to make up some lost ground. Let's, let's get at it, okay? Let me encourage you to kind of back off, okay? <laughs> Lovingly, I say that. Just, you know what? I'm going to allow, this is what I'd like you to say, I'm going to allow God to work in my husband's heart and to, to change him and to mold him and allow him to, to apply these, these truths in his life. And your husband may say, honey, did you notice that, that an illustration that was given this morning really sounds like something that we're working on in our marriage? And you might say, really? Uh, do tell. And you, together you guys can talk about how to apply the, the truths together. But let me encourage you, what we're laying out this morning is, is the, in the next week as well is the ideal. This is where we all desire if we are believers, for God to be bringing us in our marriage relationships, and specifically those of us who are husbands. And and frankly, I'll tell you this. Um, Yesterday, uh, one of my my children was sick, and I was a little hopeful. I thought, maybe Whitney will have to stay home with the kids uh, tomorrow. Now, she knows what I'm going to say, but there's something about saying it publicly (laughs) that just uh, makes me well aware of the the gap that exists between where I'd like to be and where I, I know that I am. And And so I'm sure uh, Whitney and I will have some good conversations this afternoon and this week as well as we've been having the the previous week also. Now, husbands, my encouragement to you is as you look at the gap between where God has called you to be and and perhaps where you find yourself, you know, my encouragement to you would be to to say, you know what, by God's grace, I'm going to continue to improve. And sometimes as husbands, it can perhaps feel overwhelming. We know that this is what the Christ-like husband looks like, and we see ourselves over here, and we say, boy, there's just no way that I'm going to make that up, and it can become very discouraging. So I'd just like to encourage you to allow God's grace through his word to work in your heart this morning, this next week, the following week, and allow God to continue to to grow you as a husband, and perhaps there are going to be just a a couple things you can jot down as you you think about how God might have you improve as a husband uh, according to his grace. And then, you know, for uh, both husbands and wives, uh, I hope that you, over the next four or five weeks, uh, six weeks as we get into, into children and, and the role of a parent and, and all those things, I hope you sense the distinction between, and I'm going to try to draw this distinction, 
between thus saith the Lord and uh, thus saith Daniel Bennett, okay? We're going to draw out some biblical principles, and then I'm going to try to give some practical examples of how I or other people have applied these truths, but I, I hope you sense that there's a distinction between what God's Word says is absolutely what we must do, and then sometimes how we opt to implement it. And I hope that you take everything that I say and, and take it back to God's Word and confirm that, yes, this is what God would have us do. And then for everyone in here, husband, wife, a single person, what I hope that you feel is, and, and are encouraged with as we go through the role of a husband is what a wonderfully loving Heavenly Father we have. And even as we see our failures as a husband, even as we as, as wives see the failures of our husbands, even as we as single people say, you know what, this doesn't really apply to me and, and directly as, 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 as in, in terms of me being in a marriage relationship, I hope all of us grasp, wow, this is the picture of the type of love my Heavenly Father has for me, the type of love that Jesus Christ has for His church. And I hope that you're encouraged as you think about the love that Christ has for his church. And with all that being said, let's delve into the text here in verse 25 as we look at the exhortation. First of all, this exhortation, husbands, love your wives. We see this in verse 25. And again, the main idea here is husbands, as you think about how you pursue oneness, you pursue oneness through Christ-like sacrificial love for your spouse. Here's what Paul writes in verse 25. Uh, husbands, love your wives. And remember, if you turn back to the beginning of chapter 5, we've already talked about love somewhat. We talked about how all of us as believers are to walk in love. And that's what Paul says in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. And so he, he takes that idea, all of us, every believer in here is to be loving other believers. We're all to, to walk in this Christ-like sacrificial love. Specifically now, he applies it to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. You, you may notice if you're a person who follows through the, the text very carefully with me, you may have noticed, hey, last time we were in the book of Ephesians, we ended on verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, suddenly, Daniel has skipped to verse 25. Uh, what, happens, what happened to the section on the wives? Is, is Daniel some sort of coward? And uh, to that, I would say, yes, I am, but by God's grace, I am going to deal with that text. But you'll notice that Paul spends a lot of time talking about the husbands here in Ephesians chapter 5. And so we as a church are going to first of all delve and, and talk about the husbands. It's one of Paul's primary ideas here. Also, I believe that when I begin talking about the wives, I'm going to be asking the wives in, in this church to, to do some very difficult things. And I'd like us to have laid the foundation as we talk about the husbands to help make those injunctions that will give the wife make more sense. And so, yes, we're going to skip those texts for just a few weeks. We will get back to them. I do it with a little bit of trepidation. The, the command here is to, to love your wives. The primary injunction that, that Scripture gives to husbands over and over again is husbands, love your wives. Again, we saw earlier in verse 2 that it's, a, it's an injunction Paul gave to the entire church. Love. And remember what we talked about love? We said that love was not some emotional feeling. Love in Scripture is not something you, you fall into. Love is not a, a fairy tale. Love is not merely physical attraction. Love is not something you receive from someone else. Paul isn't saying here, uh, husbands, have this really warm feeling toward your wives. Or, or husbands, uh, be very excited about what your wives can, can, can do to you if you treat them in the right way. Or, or husbands, uh, be very 
be very uh, ant- anticipatory of the, the type of benefit you'll receive from your wives. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying that husbands fall into this emotional feeling for your wives. Paul is saying, remember we looked at the definition of love a few weeks ago. Paul is saying, husbands, commit yourselves to benefit your wife through your sacrificial actions toward them. Husbands, make a decision now, make a decision of your will in your hearts to benefit your spouse. This is a radically different definition of love than the world has, isn't it? I don't know if you've been following, if you come to our church, you've been following it, because I mentioned the last several weeks, uh, the, the, the epic saga of the governor of South Carolina. This guy is the uh, sermon illustration that keeps on giving. Uh, he's been involved in this, this extramarital affair, and uh, this last week he gave another interview with the Associated Press. And I, I commend uh, Governor Sanford for his uh, stated desire to reconcile with his wife, but I, I read this transcript of his interview with the Associated Press and listened to a couple things that he said. And the thing that's so uh, strange to me about this man is he, he espouses some very biblical ideas, and, and he, he has some very... Uh, uses biblical language, and then, and then he'll say something that's so terribly unbiblical. Listen to what he said as he talked about this affair that he's been involved in. He referred to this person as his, that he engaged in this affair with as his, his soulmate. He said, this was a whole lot more than a simple affair. It's a love story, a forbidden one, a tragic one, yes, but a love story at the end of the day. He said that what he's going to try to do now is to, to fall back in love with his wife. What a terribly unbiblical understanding of love, right? Sanford's definition of love is, is this, this lustful relationship. It's totally contrary to what the biblical injunction to, to love means. Uh, love, his actions aren't loving towards himself. They haven't been loving towards his wife. And engaging in an affair with this other woman was certainly not a loving act for him to be engaged in. It's the very opposite definition of love. His, his actions aren't benefiting anyone involved in this entire situation. Uh, love, in Scripture, is committing our wills, men, to say I'm going to benefit my spouse by whatever means necessary, as long as it is in accordance with God's word. Another example of this that, I, that I've seen sometimes uh, working in, in family ministry is when you read books on, uh, careful I'll give this illustration here, uh, on adoption. And as you read about adoption, what you'll find sometimes is, is people in the initial stages of considering adoption or who have engaged actually in adopting really struggle with this question, will I be able to, to love an adopted child as much as I love my biological child. And sometimes even whenever a, a person brings a child into their home, uh, they, they struggle with that and they say, you know, there's, there's something different about my emotional response uh, to this human being that, that was different than my emotional response to a biological child when I, when I saw this child born or whatever. And, and, and it can be a, a great struggle for a parent and a husband and a wife sometimes have to really work through that, and, and particularly the, the wife, because uh, women are often more uh, emotionally invested and have stronger types of emotion toward, toward children. The answer, oftentimes, for adoptive couples who are struggling with that is to have a right understanding of biblical love. What's biblical love? Biblical love is a commitment to sacrificially care for another person. 
And so a person who has committed themselves to benefiting another child absolutely, by God's definition of love, is, is committed to love them. And what you find is that as you continue to engage in those difficult things that God has called you to, to, to sacrificially caring and benefiting another person, is those emotional feelings often come in response to a decision of the will to benefit another person. In our marriages, men, there's going to be ebb and flow of emotion. There's going to be ebb and flow in our relationships and the way that we relate to one another and the type of benefit that we receive from each other. And, and sometimes your, your wife is just going to be your, your biggest cheerleader and, and sometimes it's going to, to feel like, like she's not that supportive of you and there's going to be all these emotions and there's going to be all these, these, these ways that she responds to you. And the temptation is going to be to come at this, this command to love your wife with a definition that's different than what God's definition of love is. In fact, as you think about this, this goal that God has for us to pursue oneness as husbands and how we pursue oneness as husbands by sacrificially loving our wives, we, as we think about that being our goal, there are a lot of obstacles between ourselves and that goal. Uh, for example, uh, maybe there's just this, this obstacle of ignorance we've already talked about. We don't understand what biblical love is. We think that love is some sort of emotional feeling. We think that love is, is receiving benefit from our spouse. And so we, we kind of pursue that goal, and we're wondering why we're not uh, being obedient to God. And we wonder why not, we're not receiving the, the blessings of obedience. And what we come to find out is we have a wrong definition of love. We've been pursuing something that's not God's definition of, of love. There are other obstacles between ourselves and sacrificial care for our wives. Uh, sometimes there's an, this obstacle of pride sacrificially loving your spouse takes great humility. And as we come against that, that obstacle of pride, we're, we're unwilling to pursue what God has called us to do. Or maybe there's, there's bitterness in a relationship, and you, you think about what your spouse has done to you, you think about how she's treated you, and you understand what the biblical injunction is, but, but you come against that obstacle of, of bitterness, and you say, I, I don't know if I can get past this and pursue obedience in this area. Oftentimes, what the obstacle is at its root is unbelief. Husbands, we say, okay, I understand that God says generally husbands sacrifice for the benefit of your wife, but in my context, that's way too difficult a thing to ask. I know that in general, that's what God would desire for his, his uh, men of integrity to do, but right now, my wife just called me a mean name. God didn't see the way that she looked at me last night. God doesn't, under, God doesn't uh, understand, and surely if he did understand, doesn't expect me to obey based upon what's been going on in our marriage. And so sure, that may be generally true that I'm supposed to sacrificially love my wife, but right now, that can't be what God desires me to do. And what we, the essence of that is unbelief. We understand what God's word says for us to do, and yet as we look at the circumstances in which we're trying to be obedient, we say, well, well, I can't do that in this circumstance. Men, that is a dangerous obstacle to come up against. I would encourage you to die with me as we enter into this marriage relationship and seek to be obedient. As we, God places no qualifications here upon this instruction. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives when they're lovely. Uh, husbands, love your wives when they're really sweet. Uh, husbands, love your wives when they, when they do the right things. Husbands, love your wives as kind of a reward for good behavior. It's very simple. Husbands, love your wives. I'm going to read a 
kind of a lengthy illustration. It's by, it was written by a man named uh, Robertson McQuilkin. Maybe you've heard his story before. He was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. And when he became the, the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary uh, many years ago, the Lord really blessed that ministry and, and things thrived and it grew. I believe he was the, the founding president even. And, and God just did some amazing things in his ministry. And there came a point, though, in his family life where his wife be, uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And McQuilkin had a, the very difficult decision of how to, to continue to care for his wife and continue to, to run this vibrant ministry. And he made a decision that sent shockwaves through much of evangelical Christianity. He decided to step down as president of the seminary in order to take care of his wife. And many godly people encouraged him not to do this. They said, you know what, uh, she, she has Alzheimer's, she's so far gone, she can't even understand what's going on. What you need to do is just, just put her and, and, and have someone else take care of her, and, and you can focus on God and, and do the things of God. You know, it's, it's God first. And listen to what McQuilkin writes in an article in Christianity Today, and this was written in 1990. And the name of the article was, the article was entitled Living by Vows. It says this, and again, this is kind of a lengthy quote, but I think it's helpful for us as men to understand this illustration. People who do not know me well have said, well, you always said God first, family second. But I never said that. To put God first means that all other responsibilities he gives are first too. My wife, Muriel, cannot comprehend much, nor express many thoughts, and those not for sure. But she knows whom she loves and is in a happy oblivion to almost everything else. She is such a delight to me. I don't have to care for her. I get to. One blessing is the way that she is teaching me so much about love, for example, God's love. She picks flowers outside, anyone's flowers, and fills the house with them. Lately, she's begun to pick flowers inside, too. Someone had given us a, a pot with a beautiful Easter lily. Two stems were in it, four or five lilies on each, and more to come. One day, I came into the kitchen and there on the windowsill over the sink was a vase with a stem of lilies in it. Now I've learned to, to go with the flow and not correct irrational behavior. She means no harm. She doesn't understand what should be done, nor would she remember a rebuke. Nevertheless, I did the irrational. I told her how disappointed I was, how the lilies would now die, the buds would never bloom, and, and please do not break off the other stem. The next day, our youngest son came for a visit. I told Kent of my rebuke of his mother and how bad I felt about it. As we sat on the porch swing, savoring each moment together, his mother came to the door. She set down a gift of love for me. She carefully laid the other stem of lilies on the table with a gentle smile and turned back into the house. I said simply, thank you. Muriel cannot speak in sentences now, only in phrases and words, and often words that make no sense, a no when she means yes, for example. But she can say one sentence, and she says it often, I love you. She not only says it, she acts it. Uh, the board at the seminary arranged for a companion to stay at our home so I could go daily to the office. This was before he made the decision to resign. 
During those two years, it became increasingly difficult to keep Muriel home. As soon as I left, she would take out after me. With me, she was content. Without me, she was distressed, sometimes terror-stricken. The walk to school was a mile-round trip. She would make that trip as many as ten times a day. Sometimes at night, when I helped her undress, I found bloody feet. When I told our family doctor, he choked up. Such love, he said simply. Then after a moment, I have a theory that the characteristics developed across the years come out at times like these. I wish I loved God like that, desperate to be near him at all times. Thus she teaches me day by day. I came across a contemporary wisdom in this morning's newspaper in a letter to the national columnist. I ended the relationship because it wasn't meeting my needs, the writer explained. The counselor's response was predictable. What were the needs that didn't get met? Do you still have the same needs? What would he have to do to fill those needs? Could he do it? Needs for communication, understanding, affirmation. The list goes on. If the needs are not met, split. There were no other alternatives. He continues, As Muriel needed more and more of me, I wrestled daily with the question of who gets me full time, Muriel or Columbia Bible Seminary. When the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter for me of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before, till death do us part, in sickness and in health. This was no grim duty, to which I stoically resigned myself, however. It was my joy, and it was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn, and such a partner she was, if I took care of her for 40 more years, I could never be out of her debt. I've been startled by the response to the announcement of my resignation. Husbands and wives renew marriage vows. Pastors tell the story to their congregation. It was a mystery to me until a distinguished oncologist, listen to this man, listen to this man. A distinguished oncologist who lives constantly with dying people told me, almost all women stand by their men. Very few men stand by their women. Perhaps people sense this contemporary tragedy and somehow were helped by a simple choice I considered the only option. It was all more than keeping promises and being fair, however. As I watch her brave descent into the oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Men, may we take up that mantle Dr. Quilkinson. Muriel had nothing to offer him in return, did she? He couldn't say, well, if I, if I love her and if I, if I treat her the right way, then she'll be a pleasant companion for me to be with. He cared with her over the next, 20, for over the, the next 25 years, and her health and her mental abilities continued to deteriorate, and yet he continued to practice sacrificial love for his beloved wife. His love for her was not based upon anything intrinsic in her. It was based upon marriage vows that he had made to her before the Lord. Now, in different circumstances, in different situations, God may call us to, to do different things. I, I don't know. But I do know this, that the heart of what Dr. McWilkinson decided to do was a heart that had committed 
to sacrificially loving his wife. Men, it's to our shame, it's to our shame that so few of us take our, our vows to our spouses seriously. It's to our shame that we fail. We fail to take upon ourselves that, that mantle that Dr. McWilkinson took upon himself. It doesn't come, doesn't come from watching romantic movies. It doesn't come by simply trying real hard. It comes through infusion of God's grace as we make that commitment to sacrificially benefit our wives. Well, that's the exhortation, husbands, Love your wives. That's what we're striving to do. Now let's look at a little bit of an explanation. An explanation we see here that Paul says, as Christ loved the church, looking at the text. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present her to himself so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You'll notice as we continue to go through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, that there's an, an extended simile that, that Paul draws out. Husbands, you and I are to be like Christ. We're to be Christ-like, and we stand here as, as representatives of of Christ, and we exercise headship and leadership and sacrificial love for our wives, and, and wives are to be like the church. And there's this extended simile that, that Paul draws. Uh, husbands are like Christ, wives are like the church. And as you and I are involved in this marriage relationship, we teach ourselves and our wives and those around us about Christ's, Christ-like attributes, and our wife helps us understand how the church is to relate to Christ. So he draws out this extended simile, and we're to love our wives in the same manner as Christ loved the church. Notice here also, there's a link between theology and action, between what God tells us to do and why God tells us to do it. We see that we've seen this all throughout the book of Ephesians. For example, we saw that Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the theology of how a person gets called into relationship with God, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell us what a person does after they've been called into relationship with God. Paul doesn't just begin with chapters 4, 5, and 6, do this, don't do this, do this, walk this way, don't walk this way, without first of all describing the, the strength upon which we're able to do it and the life transformation that takes place within our hearts as we place our faith in Christ. Over and over again in Ephesians, Paul links what he tells us to do with theology. Same is true here. Husbands, love your wives, he says, and then he gives us the theological explanation for why we're to do it and how we're to do it. As Christ loved the church. Oftentimes, I think our temptation as husbands is to do this. It's not to say, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, the, I'm the perfect husband, but we, we say this. We say, I, I may not be the perfect husband, but, uh, you know, I, I'm no Matt, okay? I'm no Matt Schellenberg, all right? And, uh, man, uh, I've, I've really got it together more than, than poor Matt, okay? Poor Leslie. I pray for Leslie, right? Um, that's our temptation as husbands. I say that because Matt's, uh, Matt's the best husband. I, I can't lie. Uh, Matt's a really good husband. I don't know of a better one. Uh, the, the point is this. Oftentimes, our temptation is to, is to seek out 
affirmation as we compare ourselves with other husbands. That's not what Paul calls us to do. Paul says, husbands, uh, love your wives, and your standard for success and how well you're loving your life, is, loving your wife, is Jesus Christ. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he says, gave himself up for her. It's pure, sacrificial love. Paul says that we're to love our wives in that way, as Christ loved the church. And he says this is why Christ did it. He says that he did it so that he might sanctify her, that he might set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. You see here Christ has a sacrificial love for the church, and it's not just a love that remains idle, it's a work that, it's a, it's, a, it's a love that works, that produces something, and that thing that it produces is sanctification. There's these two that statements that describe his goal, and Christ's love doesn't fizzle, it grows into something. Christ loves the church and gives himself up for her. Husbands, we're going to talk next week more about the application of this, but let me just kind of give you this thought too. It says here that Christ gave himself up for the church. And many of us as husbands say, you know what, I'm willing to, to lay down my life for my wife. In fact, uh, what we do uh, in, in my house, uh, you may think I'm a little, you may know that I'm a little crazy. Uh, our bed is, is facing in such a way that I sleep on the side that's closest to the door. And my thinking, honestly, is this. If ever some sort of crazed madman comes through that door, He's going to have to jump over my sleeping body uh, to get to, to my wife. And, and for, hopefully uh, I'll, I'll wake up long enough to, to, to give Whitney some time to get out of there. Okay? That's, my, that's my thought. I'm going to sleep closest to the door so that uh, I can lay down my life for my wife. Right Now, that's the ultimate. But what happens when a child comes into our room and daddy is the first person he comes to? Daddy, I don't feel so well. Or there's something happened in my bed, okay? Hey, go around to your mom. <laughs> don't tell her you talk to me. She got to handle these things a little better than daddy, okay? Okay, all right? I'm willing to do the ultimate. You know, the crazy guy, the crazy guy with a gun comes in, and, you know, I'm taking the bullet. But a sick kid comes in that threw up in his bed, uh, that's mom's job, all right? Husbands, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And what that means, and we'll delve into this more next week, is that we're not just willing to lay down our lives ultimately for our wives, but we're willing to lay down our wives, our lives for our wives on, our, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Let me, uh, let me see here. Let's, let's, just, uh, let's begin a little bit here by going into the examination here of, of examining ourselves and thinking about some some ways in which we as husbands can measure our love for our wives and Paul says this in verse 28 uh, in the same way husbands should love their wives husbands should love their wives as their own bodies we're going to begin talking about this over the next few weeks about or over this week and, and, and really next week about what it means for a husband to love his wife how this practically plays out and how a Christ-like husband loves his wife and Let's look first at this. You can turn over if you're taking notes on the, on the back of your bulletin. It says this, a, a Christ-like husband loves his wife, uh, first of all, by leading her. And uh, we're not going to go too, we're not going to even probably get through all the way through this, this first aspect of understanding leadership. 
But keep your fingers there in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. And husbands, I want you to, to think about this, this aspect of loving your wife. That's our goal. We're pursuing oneness in our marriage by, by loving our wives. And let's think about what leadership looks like in, in God's eyes. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. Matthew 20, 20, it says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. They said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able he said to them, verse 23, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard, when the ten heard what, uh, what would have gone on here, they were indignant at the two brothers. And then listen to what Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 25, and how Jesus radically alters their understanding of what leadership looks like. And husbands, remember our goal. Our goal is to pursue sacrificial love for our wives. And it's going to be very clear in the text, and we'll continue talking about this, uh, about this next week, is that God has placed us in a position of leadership in our homes, or, and that's what we should be taking upon ourselves. But this leadership that God calls us to is 180 degrees from the world's understanding of leadership. And often the world hears us talk about being leaders in our home, and they think, well, you guys are dictators. You're saying that a wife should be some sort of subservient person. And that is 180 degrees away from what God says a Christ-like husband is to be and, who, and how he is to, to exercise this leadership. Look at verse 25 as Jesus calls them to a right understanding of sacrificial leadership. Jesus called, to him, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands, God has placed you in a position of leadership again. We'll look at this more next week. But understand rightly what biblical leadership looks like. It's the type of leadership exercised by Jesus Christ who laid down his life, gave his life as a ransom for many. Our culture, our culture misunderstands leadership. It misunderstands marriage. And I believe that God is calling us as, as husbands to, to rightly understand what his expectations for us are. I'm going to close with one last illustration. It's kind of a, it's kind of a fun feeling here to have a, a lot of content and not really knowing how far I'd get this morning and how far we'll get next week. It's kind of, kind of fun to do it a little bit differently. By God's grace, hopefully we'll get through everything next week. But I just want to close this morning by, with, with, with this thought. Um, Whenever, and I think I've shared this illustration before, this story before, but, but I think it's very applicable for uh, this, this, uh, this text. 
whenever we went through our, our premarital counseling, there was a, a book that we were reading and kind of went through, and part of this book, I wasn't very excited about the book, and, and uh, as we went through the book, there was this, this chart that it showed us. It said, uh, you're, you're going to get married, and there's going to be this, this honeymoon period, and so there's like this little line, do, 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 and it's like in the clouds, okay? And this honeymoon period is going to be this wonderful time of, of amazing joy, and, and you're going to love it. And then, and then I noticed that the line went do, 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 all the way down. And it was like, uh, I think the term was the depths of despair. And uh, it says, this is what's going to happen as you uh, understand, as, as you understand uh, how, uh, you know, bad life is, okay? And I thought, man, that looks pretty bad. Hopefully the line goes back up. And sure enough, do, 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 it, went, it went up, but it never went back up to where, like, you know, the honeymoon period had been. It, it was like, I think the, I think the title was uh, uh, Realistic Expectations. And I looked at Whitney, I thought, hey, sweetie, are you looking forward to a life of realistic expectations? Okay, that sounds super to me. Um, here, here's the point, you know, oftentimes in our culture, we have a, a wrong understanding of, of what marriage is. And, you know, the jokes about the husband being unhappy or the wife being unhappy, they're jokes with some truth in them because often we have the wrong goal in marriage, the wrong understanding of the purpose of marriage. Here's what I've found, my little own personal chart, okay? Now, I don't want to give an unrealistic view of my marriage. It's not been like this straight line that, that's always, you know, uh, Whitney's experienced every joy of a wife possibly could in marriage. I mean, there have been issues, right? I, I'm, I, you can talk to her, and she'll be very honest with you about uh, my failings as a husband. But, but here's what I found. Um, you know, there was, there was uh, th- this beginning period where there, was, there were probably some so, some areas, there were some areas we needed to grow in, but, but every year, I think each of us have, have realized, I've realized what a selfish person I am, and I've, understand, I've understood more fully what it looks like to die to myself, and, and I've understood more deeply what it means to, to love like Christ does. And so, just like Christ, here in Ephesians chapter 5, has this goal, his goal is the sanctification of the church, and the church doesn't just all of a sudden become really sanctified, and it's this, it's this lifelong process that those of us who are part of the church go through, and we're constantly becoming molded more like Christ. The same is true in a marriage. A husband begins and, and needs to understand how selfish he is, and, he, and then he pursues oneness with his wife. It's this lifelong, joyful journey of learning how to sacrificially love his wife, and husbands, I hope you get excited about that. I hope you are just filled with joy as you think about how God is molding and shaping you in your marriage relationship. And single people, I hope you are excited as you see, you know what, uh, perhaps God is preparing me for marriage someday, and I, I know how God's going to need to work in my heart. Or maybe he's not, pursuing, not calling me to pursue marriage someday, but, but wow, I have a much greater understanding of the type of sacrificial love that my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has for me. And may all of us, as a result of studying this text, have a greater appreciation for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and and Father, we thank you for how you do mold us and and shape us. Father, I I pray for the marriages in this room. I I pray that you cause those of us who are husbands to joyfully sacrifice for our wives, and I, I pray that you would cause all of us to have a greater appreciation for you and your glory.
to understand the love of your son, Jesus Christ, more fully as we look at the institution of marriage. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.